0: Bibles to Acts of the Apostles chapter 1. If you're using the Pew Bible, that'll be on page 1080, 1080, Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read a little bit from 1 and then jump to Acts chapter 2. And a um, couple of things you might not know if you're new here is Pastor Dan likes to sing all the verses in the hymns and likes to read lots of scripture. I don't like to preach a single verse or a couple of verses. Too easy to get that out of context, too easy to make it say whatever you want it to say. Read more and listen for the voice of God. And there's some comment that I'll make along the way, but let's start then this new series by reading from scripture, Acts 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not time for you to know these, uh, the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now we jump to Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I've always imagined that wherever God opens the portal that separates the fabric of space and time as we experience it from the place where God dwells, that, that place outside of space and time, I've always imagined that that's where this bright light comes from. So that when Moses saw what he thought was a bush on fire, but it wasn't burning, it's because he was looking at a portal. into this realm outside space and time where God dwells. And it just happened to be where this bush was. Again, I think that the the star of Bethlehem was such a portal. And I think that when John at Patmos is standing there, or sitting, I think maybe because he was probably going to fall down anyway, he's in awe because God has opened this portal and Jesus is standing in the doorway. And, and so here again, I think the tongues of fire weren't fire, but literally like like God's garden hose opening up on each of the heads of these people, literally heaven on earth, heaven in the very being of these people. So this is, this is what I picture. I think this is where we get the idea of halos, by the way. Just an aside, we're going to have some commentary, take it or leave it, here we go. Now, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude, uh, at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? You know what that really means? Aren't these a bunch of rednecks? That's what they're saying. You know, these are the Jerusalem crowd. This is a sophisticated cosmopolitan crowd gathered for the high holy day of Pentecost. And, and they're hearing these, these country boys, these rednecks. And they can't believe that they can speak more than one language because they don't believe they speak the native language that well. And they were amazed and astonished as people who were uh, Parthians and Medes. Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. And they were telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. And verse 12 says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking them, said, they're just filled with new wine. And because the Bible is funny, Peter says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These men aren't drunk, as you suppose, because it's only the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Nobody gets that drunk that fast. But this was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now he's quoting Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all the flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire, vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. And before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now he's finished quoting Joel. And by the way, did you catch the fact that it's really not Peter talking? It's the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, is talking in such a way that even people who don't speak his native language can understand him. It's not Peter talking, the Holy Spirit's talking. And so the Holy Spirit has just laid out through Joel's prophecy the time we know as the church age, the era of the church with a capital C, the body of Christ. We're living in that time right now. We are an extension of exactly what Peter is describing here. That's why Joel's prophecy includes some things that we haven't seen yet. Because we are both living the current version of what Peter's describing and Joel. And we are anticipating things to come. Men of Israel, verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to by you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Did you hear that? God is expressing through the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of Peter, everything they did to Jesus was part of the plan. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men and God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So remember that scripture is the best interpreter of scripture. And that is exactly what Peter's doing here with the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's interpreting scripture to you. He's telling you exactly what David meant when he proclaimed that Messiah would suffer these things and be delivered. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel before know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Do you imagine the audacity of what he's saying to these people? The incredible, reckless abandon of what he's saying to these people? Thousands, we know, because of what comes next. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? When's the last time you felt that way in the presence of God? Most authentic confessions and professions I've ever witnessed in my life as a Christian sharing faith with others have come with that same spirit of desperation. When someone looks through those amazing grace, wretch like me kind of eyes and says, What do I do? What do I do? Because the conviction has come and it's cut deeply. Your whole paradigm has been shifted. Your your whole sense of how things seem to be and what you think things are like has been completely uprooted. Kind of like when the derecho comes through and a tree that seems like it's never gonna go anywhere is suddenly laying on its side and roots that have never seen the light of day are facing the sun. That is what they're saying here. Brothers, do you hear that? They went from criticizing these guys and calling them a bunch of drunks, a bunch of drunk rednecks, no less, to saying, brothers, help me. They suddenly realized they're drowning and they need to be saved, it's powerful. And with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves, From this crooked generation, verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. (laughs) I'd be so thrilled to add three today. as they had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved and that's the word of God for the people of God thanks be to God how How is it that that was church on the first day and it has devolved into cold, lifeless habit? That's why we're going to do this series. We're going to do this series so that we can observe how the Holy Spirit worked in the early church and observed how they responded to the work of the Holy Spirit so that we can begin to figure out how to make that happen here. And I know it's a frightening concept. I know that it's scary to try to imagine some of these things happening in our church. (laughs) I mean, let's face it. I've been calling us the frozen chosen for about six years now. And not as a matter of sarcasm, but because of something that I heard a preacher say once a long time ago in Evanston, Illinois, he being a former United Methodist pastor and now the second Baptist church pastor in Evanston, and he called the Methodists the frozen chosen. And and it's because there was a time in Methodist history when they were known for being like this description in the second chapter of Acts. Methodists used to be that way, filled with the Holy Spirit, driven and compelled by things that that didn't happen in the frozen chosen then, which was the Church of England. And so as we went through our journey last year that leads us to the place we find ourselves this year, one of our decisions was to remain as faithful to our Methodist tradition and our Methodist roots as ever. And in the spirit of Wesley, who proclaimed God's amazing love that made no sense, I'm asking us to do the same in this series, to think and to critically observe the holy spirit's work in the early church and try to imagine the same kind of thing happening here and i probably will be a little frightened and upset by some of it myself but i pray right now with you lord go ahead scare the daylights out of me just go ahead i'll i'll survive now Let's just look at some of the things that happened. First of all, they were empowered through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what it was called in in the tradition the Holy Spirit uh, kind of immersed them and then drew them out again in the same way that we will immerse someone in the baptismal waters and draw them out. It's It's a spiritual bath but it's still meant to communicate death to the old self and resurrection and a new life in the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing we notice is that the Holy Spirit is the prompter. The Holy Spirit is the convener. The first thing we have to do is move through our spiritual life with the expectation that the Spirit is moving ahead of us Alongside us and behind us the sense that the spirit will do exactly as the spirit deems necessary and the most important way that we participate is to not resist the Holy Spirit and with enough. Non-resistance in the room, even those who resist will find an overwhelming force like the rush of a wind. <laughs> I, can't, I hate to keep referring to the weather lately, but, you know, I never even heard of a derecho 15 years ago. And now I understand that it's a hundred mile long gust of wind that just doesn't let up. And I'm thinking, well, that's what the Holy Spirit sounded like that day at Pentecost, a rushing wind that just blew everybody over and left some with a halo or the Spirit glowing. So effectively was the infusion of the Holy Spirit. But who took action first? The Spirit. In the same way the Spirit provided in the early church guidance and revelation, Peter wasn't talking. The spirit was talking. Peter was the mouthpiece. That's a little bit like some of the ancient traditions of oracles, but it's different in this case. Because again, Peter is welcoming this initiative. It's not like he's being taken over. He's participating willingly with the spirit of God. And for that, he gets deeper understanding that he might have been capable of. He has a gift of communication that is beyond his typical nature. In the same way, the Spirit gives gifts. Now, we talked, you know, for several weeks before I went on vacation about the fruit of the Spirit, and we explored in depth the various ways that God expresses God's self through the fruit that His Spirit bears when we make ourselves available to that. And we had a great time thinking through how we could be different by virtue of the fruit the spirit bears so we'll talk more about gifts of the spirit as we go further in our study but for now just recognize that it's the spirit that makes you able to be more than you are it's the spirit that makes you able to do as Peter did, which is to speak a word that comes directly from heaven and to be understood regardless of your natural ability to communicate. In the same way, we witness through Peter the conviction and the regeneration that the Spirit caused in him. Remember, this is the same guy who figured that he had failed so miserably as Christ's number one disciple. That he, re- he pretty much tend- gave his resignation to Jesus and Jesus' response was, uh, I'm not taking your resignation, feed my sheep. I don't think Peter was done dealing with that just because Jesus told him those things. But this day, this same Peter who is defeated, broken, and completely ashamed of his faithlessness and his lack of courage is now standing here saying to thousands of people who consider themselves way more sophisticated than him. You know, this Jesus that you guys killed was just... A whole lot more than you thought he was and oh by the way you guys didn't know it but he was in control of the way all of that played out I mean this is a confidence and a poise that wasn't natural to Peter and yet the spirit gave it to him no wonder then that uh, the scripture tells us that when we need the right words the spirit will give them to us of course you got to be humble You got to get yourself out of the way it all starts with that paradigm shift it all starts with humility and that pleading the amazing grace for a wretch like me in the same way the spirit unifies and sanctifies the body of Christ the church in other words, if we're not at each other's throats, we can thank the Holy Spirit for that. If we are experiencing chaos in our church family, you can thank Satan for that. If you hear oppressive and ungodly language and if you hear vile and unjust condemnation, if you hear things that don't sound like Christ talking, It's probably not Christ talking. And so we know that the Holy Spirit is at work in a congregation or a family of faith like our own. Because the Spirit brings unity. The Spirit brings truth and love. The Spirit brings grace. And if we can't recognize where the Spirit is at work, we can surely recognize where Satan is working. Because it's always Generating chaos, oppression, decay, and death. Finally, the Spirit provides us strength and comfort in our times of weakness. The Spirit gives you a peace that passes all understanding. And it isn't an unrealistic or naivete. Uh, It's more of a spirit of confidence. Remember when we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, we talked about how the Spirit gives you a sense of ease about things, even when you don't have an explanation, when you can't see the way out. There is a sense of confidence, a divine poise that is generated by the Holy Spirit. So these are the things we witness in the Spirit-led people of God who were the first church, of which we are a continuation, but to what extent are we like those people? This is what we'll observe together in the coming weeks, and I look forward to studying it with you. If you want to prepare and join in that study, you can read the Acts of the Apostles in your personal study each day as we will cover about 11 chapters from the Acts of the Apostles in the next few weeks. The main thing I'd like for you to take away today is that this one thing separates the original church From most of the churches that we see in our communities today and it is the presence and leadership, the dominance of the Holy Spirit. We simply must welcome the Holy Spirit in our church life together and in our Christian lives together and like me I would so like to see you courageously invite the Holy Spirit to do even things that might unsettle you because as long as we're afraid we're not living in the Spirit of Christ there's no fear in the Spirit of Christ and the things that we fear well Most of us don't fear people so much, but we do fear things that might leave people like us feeling as though we're not in control. Why do you think we obsess over the weather the way we do? Because we can't control it. (laughs) Obsess over the Holy Spirit because you can't control him. Invite him to take you on a wild ride like a derecho wind and know that however that turns out it'll be okay that's what i'm going to do let us pray almighty god you have heard your word and you have heard our plea we're frightened by the prospect of things that we have never experienced in church and yet we invite that to happen over the next few weeks even today we ask that there might be a spirit of revival and renewal around and through this church so that truly we are the body of Christ in the same spirit of those who began the journey with you so long ago. Amen.